We're going to continue this morning in the sermon series called Culture War. This is going to be really interesting as we move toward Easter, which is only like what now, four weeks away? Easter's four weeks away, and that's pretty wild, you know, with the way things are shaping up. Like, what's that going to look like this year, Easter celebrations? But uh, I, I hope, no matter what it looks like, you plan with me to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, amen, and his death for our sins and being raised to new life. And I don't know if you, that's why I felt like the worship music this morning was really powerful because we say these words all the time, but then you hear them in new ways based on your life circumstance. It just so happens to be that this week, many of us are going through the same life circumstance because uh, usually week to week, we're all having different experiences and this week is a communal experience. But we look toward a hope that is not of this world, and we look toward the resurrection of Christ. But it'll be interesting because this whole conversation we're having is about how we can be more prepared to welcome people into our lives, right? And uh, that'll be kind of interesting to see how that goes, given uh, everything going on in our culture. So um, we still need to be prepared. Uh, someone uh, made a great point this week to say that, that I'm trying to think how it was said exactly, but they said, times like this are the times for the church to shine. Not because we seek these things out, we do not. We don't want things to go badly, we do not. But in these are our moments of faith where we get to step up and say, yes, this was never, it's no different. And I'm reminded someone say, you know, think about the firefighters, the guys who run into the building when everyone's running out of the building. Right now we have nurses and doctors, they're, they're running into buildings when everyone else is like staying away from buildings. But in the same way, I am reminded of our heritage of faith of Christians who would step in for gospel purpose, knowing they're putting their lives at risk so that others might know Christ. It's an eternal endeavor. It is not temporal. Our hope has never been in this world. And so in times like this, we're like, yeah, no, it's never been there. By the way, side note, in case your hope was in the future of your stock account, it ain't there either, folks. We don't have hope that we're going to be rich someday. We have hope that we're going to be with God forever. He made us, and he made all the hills and all the animals on them, and they all belong to him. So we get to praise God that we are his, and he is ours, and this is our time to, to, to proclaim that. So we're going to continue to do this. We're going to lean forward into this. If you've been here, you know already a couple things. This might, ironically, be a time that people need to be invited into smaller group settings, right? So maybe you do get to invite someone to your house or get to invite someone to have a meal together. Uh, I saw the funniest video, and I'm not going to make fun of this because it's a serious deal. I know it's a serious deal. But there was some dude in Italy. I don't know if anybody saw this. I wish I, I should have screenshotted it and put it up here. I didn't. I apologize. But he built a six-foot board, <laughs> and he put two ropes on it. And he went to the store. I don't know how he got through the cash registers or anything. He was probably in his 60s. Anybody saw that? Anybody see it? It was uh, so funny. I don't think he was trying to be funny, but he was, that was his bubble, and he needed to make sure he had room. So he probably don't want to be invited anywhere. But, you know, for the rest of us who are hurting and who maybe have a tendency to feel isolated anyway, you might need someone to, to love you, to kind of engage with you, to tell you that you're still worth it, despite what's going on in the world. So that's kind of a funny thing. So we talk about being invitational, how we can invite others, who maybe we should be thinking about inviting into our lives. And then last week, we talked about being welcoming and being the kind of place that's like, you know, that's the kind of place you want to be, uh, the kind of place that our kids want to be. And um, hopefully we're, we're doing that as a church culture, becoming the kinds of places, creating the kinds of spaces and environments where people feel welcomed. And, and that's probably the most important whenever we're least alike to cause people to feel welcomed. I was talking to a friend of mine who was a really gifted youth pastor, youth leader, actually a husband and wife, they were saying their greatest tool when they meet a new student is to go up to the student and say, this is awkward, isn't it? And the students are like, yeah, this is awkward. And they're like, that's okay. Everyone experiences that. And they said, if they get them past that first awkward thing, next thing they'll be part of the group, part of the group. You've got to be welcoming on purpose. You've got to recognize people's experiences and invite them in. The series we've been talking about is a practical and applicable one that we should really try to figure out how to live out in our real lives. Because the truth is that the, the war we're in is a spiritual war. Everything we're talking about is spiritual matters. Nothing is apart. Nothing stands apart from God himself. And so I'm going to jump in this morning into John 16. And so if you brought a Bible with you, you can open up to John 16. If you did not, you should be able to grab one at the end of the chair row around you and flip open to John 16. We're going to look at um, verses 29 through 33. Give you just a minute to get there. Jesus' disciples said this, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe 
that you came from God? Jesus answered, you believe at last, or another way you can say it is, well, do you now believe? He says this, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I, w- I am not alone because my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. This world will give you trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that's going to get us into this week's focus, which is we're called to be encouraging. We are called to be encouraging people. Jesus here has been teaching his disciples about great and tr- powerful things that are coming to pass. He's been telling them of the, of the future, even his own, and the things that must come. And in the, in the middle of this, they say, finally, you're telling us things plainly. Now we get it. We believe. And he's like, do you believe? Because the world is going to be a hard place for you to live. But then he said this, and I was talking to a dear friend of mine this last week, just by God's providence, and he said, do a, do a study of take heart in the scriptures. Do a study of be courageous or be encouraged, right? That, that, and I'm like, well, that's funny that you would say that to me because that's actually our topic this week, be encouraging. And so that's where I was like, yeah, this is one of those places that Jesus says, take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. That's why we take heart. As a matter of fact, if you, if you look in the text, what it says there is Jesus says, I've told you these things in verse 32, 33, I'm sorry, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me, that's him, you, that's us, may have what? Peace. Yeah. He tells you that first. I've told you these things plainly so that in me you have peace. And then he tells you the bad news. In this life, you're going to have trouble. That's after the peace. In this life, you're going to have trouble. But then he says this, but take heart, be encouraged, because I have overcome the world. I want to talk about those last two ideas there, and then we're going to jump into today's topic in earnest, right? Um, Jesus tells us that in this world, we're going to have persecution, we're going to have affliction, we're going to have distress, we're going to have tribulation. The word actually when it says in this world, you have trouble. It means you're going to be pressed. You're going to be squeezed down. You're going to be squeezed all. And it's not like a one-directional squeeze. You're like, man, things are hard at work right now. But it's like things are hard at work, and things are hard at home, and things are hard inside, and things are hard outside. And there's going to be these times in the world where it's just pressing in. Um, if, you ever, if you ever have ever had like a, uh, a fruit, like a squeezer, you ever seen somebody use a, a squeezer? And they put those um, bolts or those, those big things and they just twist them. They keep twisting them. And this, this beautiful fruit, this like round and, you know, sumptuous and all this, it just begins to pop and burst and it begins to leak out. Well, we're trying to get to the juice there, right? We're trying to get to the good stuff. But they just get squeezed and squeezed. And then what's funny is whenever you left the thing off, all that's left is like hardly anything left because it's all been squeezed. That's what Jesus says this world's going to be like. We're going to be squeezed. It's going to feel, we're going to feel pressure. We're going to feel internal pressure and external pressure. We're going to feel sideways and front and back. We're going to feel top and bottom. We're going to feel like we're putting a box and everything's pressing in, pressing in. And you can sense in his instruction to his disciples whom he loves, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard days. And in the middle of that, just hear the word today, he says this, take heart, be encouraged. Why? Because Jesus said so? Is that why? says, because I have overcome the world. <laughs> the word there is Nike, Nike, actually in the Greek. It's spelled like Nike, in case you're wondering. And it means victory. Take heart because I have victory in this world. That all the things that you see around you will be, be set right by me because I have victory. That's hard not to preach that. I'm just letting you know. That's a hard thing not to really get off and preach on because he's like, I am the victory. Why do we lean into Easter? Why do we look toward it? We're going to talk around the Easter, a series called 72, Three Days It Changes Everything. This idea that there's that moment, man, where he is, he's on the cross and he's breathed his last and then boom, lights out, everything's dark, and then it's just silent. I can't imagine those three days, how the disciples feel, pressed in on every side. They're, they're literally locked in a room, terrified. It might cost them their life to go out and talk about Jesus. They don't know if they even believe in Jesus anymore. They're, they're still following instructions, and then they have victory because he has overcome the world. So we can live that same life. I want to start there this morning with the idea that you need to know, that you need to be encouraged, that Jesus has had victory over everything in this life. And let me just say, what an awesome opportunity to realize that again. 
When we face things, they're like, what's happening? This is not a new experience, folks. We've had these experiences before. We should take heart because he has overcome the world. Knowing that Jesus encourages us to face trouble in this world then, the question today is, how can we encourage others? That's what we're going to get into. When can we encourage others to take heart, to be encouraged because of Jesus Christ? Because the first half of that is to know it, and the second half of that is to proclaim it to other people in real ways that only you're going to see in people's lives. Because this too shall pass, but there'll be something else next. And we are the missionaries being sent out to proclaim good news. So pray with me. We're going to pray before we get into the scriptures more and ask God to teach us how we can do this. Father God, we thank you so much this morning for a chance to be gathered together as your people. Lord, we come before you not just Sundays, but every day. We breathe breath that you put into our lungs. You cause us to wake up and arise and live another day. We give you thanks and praise for that reality. And we pray, Lord, this morning that as we come into this place, that as your children, we can just sit at your feet and listen to you. You are our good heavenly father, and we long to know you more. Would you uh, encourage us today? And would you teach us how we might encourage others? Oh, Lord, I pray that we would have open minds, uh, hearts that would believe, uh, feet and hands that are fast to act, to obey, and lives that are lived in a manner worthy of the calling we have received. May you be glorified. We love you so much. We thank you for this time. Teach us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about particular times when people need encouragement in their life, right? And, uh, and so the first time that we might want to encourage people is when they're trying. When they're trying, um, many times in life, people are trying to make change. Uh, there's this great verse in Romans 12 that says, be no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think that's Romans 12, 2, if I'm not mistaken, right? Be no longer conformed to the patterns, the cutouts of this world, but be changed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Begin to think differently. But here's the reality of that is that when people are going through trying to change how they think, it's a journey to do that. It is not an instant fix. You don't just instantly think differently. You begin to kind of have starts and stops, fits, and you fail and you get up again and you try again. And those are times we should have encouragement. Well, we should have patience with people, right? But we should be encouraging in our patience as they try. Many, uh, you, you may hear that sometimes that people will come. I, I often have had people talking about having people come to a, um, a small group or, well, think about that. Let's just walk that out for a minute. You invite people over for a Bible study and someone asks a dumb question. What's your job? Say, that's not a dumb question. And it's not a dumb question. Like, we feel like it's a dumb question. Oh, I'm gonna ask this. No, that's not dumb. You're trying. You're wrestling with what's being said. Did you see what it says here? What does that mean? And then sometimes you gotta say, well, I don't know what that means. Is that okay to say we don't know? Or let's say this. Say somebody's like, yeah, I hear this all the time. Like, yeah, you don't want me in church. I'm like, really? I kinda do. I'd love to have you there. You wanna try? You wanna try to show up and see? Friends of mine were looking for a church, and they said, we just can't find the church that fits all of our needs. We've, we've been to a bunch of churches, and man, we love one thing from this church and one thing from that church, but we're going to a church where we don't like these things. And I'm like, so change it. Change the church. Well, me, I, I just attend there. I'm not the pastor. What? Change it. You know, you, you think you see what you want to see more of, so be the change you want to see, right? You go and have a different attitude about how you welcome visitors. You be the one that reaches out into the neighborhood. You the one that starts conserving at the pantry or something. Like, be the change. We should encourage that. And by the way, I wasn't saying come to the family Bible and be the change, but by the way, be the change. Feel free, you know? You see something you should be done differently, let's do it differently. We should be encouraging one another in this, to be trying things. Sometimes the word try gets a bad rep. Um, uh, I've... I've um, uh, all apologies to Yoda, right? Because then he say, uh, do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> yes, there is, Yoda. He's still trying. He's still trying to raise that thing up out of the swamp. He's still trying to raise the rock. I know what's being said there. It's a faith question, isn't it? Don't say, I'm going to try. Say, I'm going to do it. Well, yeah, but you're going to try to do it, and you might not do it sometimes, but you tried, and that's got to be okay. Take a look at... Um, oh, we look at um, the way... Uh, we can change when we're, when we're young, or we can uh, uh, be changed by this. Oh, we're going to look at, uh, let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. It's going to read around a little bit of stuff here, but this is what the word says in 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, 
opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That's all just a preamble, right? Since we have Christ, we can enter the holy temple through his body with a clear conscience. Let us enter in, and verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. There it is. There's the encouragement. Let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Knowing that we have acceptance in Christ, knowing we have a free conscience in his name, then let's encourage one another for love and good works. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. There it is again. And all the more, and here it is, church, as we see the day approaching. I had someone ask me this morning, do you think Jesus is coming? I said, yes. I thought that for a while now. But so I have a bunch of other people. But he is coming. What's the word say there? Keep encouraging one another. Why? And all the more as the day approaches. The day approaches. That's the day. That's the day he comes. It's the day he judges. One of the problems we have as a culture is we live in denial. Like, by default, our position is denial. Say, oh, yeah, you got to worry about those old folks. No, you're a breath away. I say it all the time. I'm not being flippant. You're a breath away. Why are you not worried? Well, those other people, they, they, they got bad habits. They should worry. No, you should be worried. You should be ready because we should encourage one another all the more as the day approaches. What? To run and hide and shelter and be afraid? It says to love and good deeds. That's what we're encouraged to go and do, to continue to believe as the day approaches, to know the things that are said above are true. The word says what? Therefore, because all these things are true, brothers, we have confidence in God to enter the most holy place. So be encouraging to one another. We have this gift, encouraging one another all the more as the day approaches. I want to think, I want to just take a little uh, parenting journey with me here for a minute, if you will, okay? Because I've been a parent for a little bit now. I'm, all, I'm getting close to being Dunnish, sort of. And um, if you're Dunnish ever, right? And uh, it's a parent, it turns out this is a lifetime calling. I did not know that when I got into this situation I'm into. All, all of you folks are shaking your head at me. I thank you for the encouragement, you know? But here's the thing. So, um, when you're trying to teach your kid, I was really thinking about this because I'm like, well, be encouraged all the more as the day is approaching. And I, I went back to this idea of how do you teach toddlers things? Well, there's two ways you teach toddlers things. And I think about toddlers because honestly, toddlers are the easiest to teach. You think the terrible twos are terrible? Wait till they're terrible 21s. They're really terrible at 21. <laughs> Woo! You know what I'm saying? Like, man, you know, um, there's this progressive ridiculousness that we get into. And, and by the way, um, I was thinking about this too, that we're just children. Like, that's why we, you know, people say, why do everybody freak out like this? Because we're all a bunch of kids. What do you think God sees when he looks down at the earth he created? And we're like, ah! And he's like, nah, settle down, settle down. That's what I, yeah, that's what I do with my kids. Hey, stop it, stop it. Um, one time we were telling, I'm going to tell a story. One time Johnny said to me, uh, Dad, I'm freaking out. It's because his brother was freaking him out. I was about to slap both of them. Like, stop it. Nothing to freak out about. I got this. But how do, you teach, how do you teach encouragement? What do you do? Well, there's two different ways, I think, right? What, well, there's, okay, there's two ways we, we train children. And the one, it's, it's a natural, and it's by encouragement. I've heard it said before, toddler starts taking a step, and they do that, and they fall down. You're not like, oh, man, loser, come on. No, I mean, is anyone like that? The first time you see it, one time we were watching somebody's kids, we were babysitting somebody's kids early in our life, and the kid took three steps, and we thought the kid was doing it. Like, we're like, oh, good job. He took steps. And we came, and the parents came home to dinner and said, how was Junior today? He said, he was great. He took three steps. And the mom just goes, Brrr. he had not taken any steps before. This one night to go on a date, he takes three steps in front of the babysitters. Like, I'm so sorry, but he'll do it again. Take, take one. And the kid just said, no, like, he's not taking any steps. But, you know, it's like, why do we automatically, this is the funny thing. Why do we, and then, Flip that around. If you're the kid taking the steps, we should encourage people to try. Yeah, so what? You didn't get exactly right. You tried. Here's the other way, though. You teach toddlers. You slap their hand. Don't touch that. And when do you do that? I was thinking about this, right? You don't do that whenever a kid's trying something that's going to be good for them to do. You do that whenever they're going to get hurt. 
The rule in my household, and we did spank our kids, you know, God forbid, but we did spank our kids. But the way we did it was we, we wanted, we, if the pain that they were going to experience, so they're going to touch a hot fire stove, which will teach them a lesson, by the way. They will burn their fingers and woo But who wants to go through that? And so instead of letting the kid do that, you slap their hand and say, don't touch that. It's going to hurt. And they're like, well, that hurt. Well, yeah, but not as bad as that were to hurt. That was kind of always the policy, right? Whatever punishment we're going to hand out is not going to be worse than what it would have been if you'd have followed through with the behavior you were doing. So that's, but that's not encouragement. That's discipline. Stop it. Don't do that. But encouragement, when you see kids doing things to you, and I'm talking about kids, you know, you know, loosely here. Yeah, do more. Try that again. Good job. I'm always thinking about um, the, the one of the most practical things I think of is like when we see uh, musicians progress. How do they progress? By trying. That's how. They try. They learn. They try. They learn. They make little mistakes. They pick it up. Sometimes you don't even see the mistakes that they make, right? I don't see them. I'm like, you did awesome. I'm like, ah, it wasn't that great. But they're learning. They're trying. They're getting better all the time. Be encouragers of one another. All the more as a day is approaching toward love and good works, we should be encouraging to others. I want to get into practically what that looks like a little more too, but I want to, uh, let's go back to Hebrews 3 real quick. Just a few pages to the left. Hebrews 3, uh, verse 12 through 14. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. This is before we got to Hebrews 10, right? Keep that in mind. So see to it that, you, that brothers and sisters, you, none of you has an, a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened uh, may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, there's a danger here. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly until the end and the confidence that we had at first. So there's this whole idea of like, like be ready, uh, be sure that you're not turning away from God and be sure that you don't have a hard heart and look at what the word says there. And this is with a slap on the hand. Don't be sinning because sin will harden your heart against the things of God. So if there's things that you want more, you're gonna turn away from God, right? But it says no, but instead, while it's today, and that's before the day, today, encourage one another. That's what it says, right? We have come to share in Christ if we firmly hold wind till the end. I've been amazed to think about why do we do the things that we do? Why do we not put off gathering together? And I'm not saying just to Sunday. That's what I mean in general. In general. Why do we not put off getting other Christians in our lives? We go out and we have a coffee or we just have a conversation on the phone or we shoot a text to somebody. How's your day going? And you're honest about your reply because you know it's a brother or sister asking and you need some correction or maybe need some encouragement. Because we're trying to do that thing. So we can hold fast. We can be soft-hearted toward God until the end of our lives when it matters. Because this life matters, right? So we can be encouraging to other people. So the question is this. Who in your life is trying right now? Or here's a question. Who in this room has been trying and we've not been encouraging? Well, first of all, I want to say keep it up. Keep on trying. We get it. It's not perfect. But you tried. Praise God. I hope you're encouraged and hopefully we can be those kind of people, that we can encourage those around us who are trying. I think one of the goals is it becomes our default position. Maybe I'm just preaching myself here, to be encouraging whenever we see people try. So that's one. Here's another one. We can be encouraging in people's lives when they're waiting, when they're waiting. And so many times people are facing uncertainty. They don't know what to do, and they're waiting for the next step. And we can encourage them to either wait or be ready to move when it's time to move, right? We're going to look at Ma the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. Matthew 9, and we're going to look at a few verses here between 9 and 10. At the end of 9 and the beginning of 10, um, Matthew 9, 35 through 10, 1. I always love it, by the way, whenever a text splits over a chapter break. Like, you know, that's allowed. <laughs> All right. Matthew 9, chapter, 30, uh, chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching good news, the good news of the kingdom, and he was healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the field. And you've probably heard that before. But look at verse one of chapter 10. He called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and every sickness. Wow. 
That's pretty amazing. So this idea, if you look at the text, in 35, Jesus is doing what? He's healing diseases. He's preaching in synagogues, teaching in synagogues, proclaiming good news. He's healing diseases and he's healing sicknesses. And then he tells them, there's not enough people in the field doing this work, right? And, and you know, um, like sheep without a shepherd is what really comes out with the idea. They're just standing around. Like they're just, he saw the crowd, what's the word say? And he had compassion. It means he's moved in his gut about the situation they're in. Why? Because they look like sheep without a shepherd. They have no direction. One of the things a shepherd does is gives us a direction and a purpose. You know, he kind of says, come along, come along, right? And make sure nobody wanders off, gets lost in their own appetites or whatever. But then it says, uh, then, they, then he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into the field. And you can imagine that those disciples were like, oh, God, would you just send somebody out there to be encouraging? Would you just send somebody out there to help, you know, in the season of we'll just wait here, we're going to pray, and Lord, you send somebody out. And then verse 10, chapter 10, verse 1 says, he called his 12 disciples and he gave them authority to strive out diseases and heal. That's interesting to me. He's like, oh, you guys go do that. You guys go out there. We can be the people that would come out and encourage people who are like sheep without a shepherd. And this is another one of those things, right? Pray, God, would you send someone out into the harvest field? Would you send someone out to do the work? But maybe we go out and do the work, right? Maybe the amen at the prayer is in you standing up and going out and taking, making the effort, help those who are waiting. It could be an, ang- an, an anxiety-induced time for people. I just don't know what. You talk to high school students, right? This is the most terrifying. They don't want to answer the question anymore. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go to school? That's an easier one. What are you going to do when you get out of school? You know, I have friends of mine that don't want to get out of school because they don't want to have to do what they do when they get out of school because they know what that means. Talk to people who are getting their, um, their um, master's level work, and they're like, I might go for my PhD. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, I've always been a student. I'm not saying they shouldn't get a PhD, honestly. I mean, maybe they're just made for the education system. But the flip side is, what's the goal? <laughs> what are we doing all this for? Seasons of waiting, they can be that way. Matter of fact, uh, sometimes these seasons of waiting can be so hard, and, and, and we need to be encouraged in two different ways. One, I think we need to be encouraged to wait, to be patient, right? Um, and the other is, we need to be encouraged to be ready to act when it's time to act, to go. I was talking to a friend of mine, and he's like, uh, man, I don't know what's going on. I put all these applications out and there's nobody hiring me and nothing's going on. And, and it's like, well, you know what? You just keep praying and waiting for God to do something in your life. I asked this question one time. I said, what would you do if you had a million dollars? If you had a million dollars, what would you do? Like tomorrow, if you had a million dollars, what would you do? And he had an answer. He's like, I'd, I'd go here and do this and that. And, and then I said, that doesn't take a million dollars. You got a car. You can pack up your stuff and go do that. And that's what he did. I couldn't believe it. I, he didn't do it because I said to do it. That's not why he did it. And thank God he's, you know. But he did. He, he, he said, you know what? I'm going to go do that. And he went and he packed up all his stuff and he put his car and he drove the state. He felt where he wanted to go do things and he started to do things there. And then guess what? Within two years, he had a whole life there. Had a job, a career, a future, everything. But he was waiting in that season. Another time I've seen this done in people's lives, a lot of times young folks are like, I want to be married. I don't see that coming. I don't see how it's going to happen. How do you do that? And they come to me. God help them. You know, you're the pastor. You don't want my advice how to find a woman. <laughs> I don't know. You know. I'm married. I'm married a long time. I'm out of the game. Not terrible advice. You know what we can do? Let's wait and pray. God, you know our hearts. Would you make an opportunity? I've never seen it fail. I've never seen that fail, waiting for God. Can we be encouragers of people that are waiting? It's okay, honey, if you don't know what you're going to be when you grow up. It's okay if you don't know what you're going to do with the rest of your life. It's okay. You know, wait for the Lord. Seek the Lord. And then maybe other times just say, well, maybe you got to do something in the meantime, right? What would you do if you had a million dollars? And what's really stopping you? Because most of us don't need a million dollars to do what we're called to do. Here's another one then. We can encourage other people when we're afraid. Boy, this one's pretty, pretty uh, on, the, on the nose, right? These were all pre-prepped, you know? So, but here we are, like, we can encourage those who are anxious about situations. Like I was telling you that story about my two sons, you know, I'm freaking out, Dad, I'm freaking out, you know? And they were freaking me out a little bit, but then I'm like, I'm the adult here. And I had to remind myself of that before I reminded them. First uh, John uh, 4.19, I believe it is, or 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. We're going to unpack that a little bit. The one who fears, then, is not made perfect in love. There's a completion in love. So there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. I have a friend of mine, that very verse changed his whole life. 
because he felt called to do something. He felt like he was equipped to do it, but he, didn't, he just couldn't leave his old life behind. He was afraid to let go of what he had known, everything he had. And this verse God used to say, you gotta let go because you can't be afraid if you're gonna follow me. You just can't live in fear and follow me. And so he let go of that thing and his whole life changed from that one verse. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. And when he went and talked to his boss and said, I'm gonna leave a successful career, I'm gonna do all these things, I feel called this other thing. He quoted this verse at his boss in a secular job. The boss said, what are you doing? He said, well, there's no fear in love because perfect love drives all fear. And his boss is like, okay. <laughs> and then he went. What is it when we're watching our 401k just go, right? We watch everyone, the mass is freaking out, you know. I'll tell you one thing. We've seen too many zombie apocalypse movies. Anybody agree with that? Because you have had visualizations of how this goes down. So you're just waiting for the first guy to walk around with like a, some kind of weird weapon. Maybe it's just me. Chris goes, that's what you think about? I'm like, I, sometimes. And then I remember Jesus, and I'm not going to do that, and that, that's not what's happening here. What, is the, what drives all that stuff? What are even all those shows about? They're about fear, fear, right? But scriptures say that perfect love drives out all fear. So we are called to be like that. Because fear has to do with punishment, but the one who fears is not made perfect in love. And, and that can be reversed to say, then the one who does not fear is made perfect in love. If you love people, your fear is done away with. We're going to stay in the Gospel of Matthew. Look at Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. This is a, a little bit of a personal thing, but it, it was fitting right in this week. Um, chapter 6, verses 33. Uh, let's do 31 through 34. This is Jesus teaching the disciples, right? In the middle of a big old didactic teaching. If you, if you look at, not didactic necessarily, but if you look at this, this is all the Sermon on the Mount, and this is all in red in my Bible because I have a red-letter Bible. But we're going to pick up here in verse uh, 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Because the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. Now here's the instruction. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Each day has enough trouble of its own. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is instructing his disciples, and he's like, you're going you're gonna to be freaked out sometimes. You're going to wonder, where's my... And, and what's funny to me is we talk about some of the stuff in our life right now, but it doesn't come down, maybe some of you it has, to food and uh, clothing. Like, those are basic needs, you know? Those are, like, really fundamental needs. And some of us get freaked out. And I had to confess, I'm not going to get into the details, but I had to confess to some friends here in the church and say, you know, I got, I got hung up on something, and I just started freaking myself out. And then this verse came to mind. And, and I just had to substitute in my freak out for food or clothes. Because, you know, for most of us, we don't worry about where our next meal's coming from. We probably don't. Or what we're going to wear. We probably have enough clothes, right? But we might put a X in there right? That we say, but this is a big deal, right? So you can, you can reread that and, and ask that in a whole different, bunch of different ways. Um, so, so do not worry saying, uh, what shall we retire with? Or don't, don't, what shall um, we, uh, you know, have our health care taken care of by? Because the pagans chase after these things. Here's the instruction. But seek first his, that's God's kingdom, and his, that's God's righteousness. And then what's the word promise? All these things will be added to you. They will be given to you as well. Your father, look at verse 32, knows you need them. You see how he sets on that? Why, why not freak out? It's not just don't freak out because you don't freak out. Your dad knows what you need. He knows what you need. This is a powerful thing. We can let go of fear. We can let go of fear. Let's turn to Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness and your, uh, be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. And I just wanted to add this on here because of this. But in everything, by prayer and petition, so there's the solution, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the practical application of how we can help encourage people when they're afraid. It's, it's laid out here very clearly. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, and that's a position that we know. It's like in Hebrews. We're entering into the, the, the temple through his body. We can rejoice that we have access and knowledge and truth. Let your 
gentle must be known to all. The Lord is near. See how that's in there? But here it is. Don't be anxious about anything, but with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God will transcend all understanding. This kind of coincides to me with the verse that Jesus taught where he says, your heavenly Father knows you need him. Don't chase him. Seek his kingdom, his righteousness. Here it says, present all your prayers and petitions with thanksgiving to God. And the promise is not that all of our prayers and petitions are absolutely met, but that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, which is ultimately what we need. So sometimes we pray for things, and we're like, oh God, if you just fix this one problem, then I wouldn't be freaked out anymore. That's not true. God, if I just had that next thing, if I got that opportunity, or if I didn't have to face this problem, or if I had this thing solved, then I wouldn't have any of these problems. That's not true. You just have a new set of problems. But if you present your problems, and there's a key word in here, with thanksgiving, pick your petitions with thanksgiving, it has to, you have to do both those things. I have a running theory in my life that the things that I pray most about are actually blessings. I'm not saying that I see them as blessings. I see them as burdens. But I have to remind myself all the time, if I didn't have a car, I wouldn't be upset because the car needs to be fixed. It's a blessing that creates the problem. If I didn't have a house, I wouldn't be upset because the house roof leaks, you see? And so it's our blessing that ends up, and sometimes we don't see our blessings as blessings, we see them as burdens. So it says, with thanksgiving, present your petitions and concerns to God. Same way, you say, well, that's practical, material stuff. If you, didn't, if you weren't in relationship with your husband or wife, you wouldn't have relational problems. It's a blessing. That's why you have them. <laughs> Does that make sense? Or if your parents, you, you have a problem, it's because you're in relationship. Usually when you're not in relationship, you have less problems, but that's a problem in itself because you're not in relationship. It's our blessings that lead to these times. So what do we do? We encourage people to pray to, uh, um, uh, to present their petitions to God so they can have peace, right? Because the opposite of being a free, full of fear is having God's peace in our lives. And so we have that opportunity ourselves, right? So that's what I would encourage you to do. Do it for yourself and do it for others. Present the needs. And, and can I just say, that means you can be honest with God in your prayer life. Don't, I, I've talked to too many people that go, I don't say that to God. I'm like, why? Why wouldn't you? Like, do you think he's like, I didn't know that was coming. Like, I think he knows already the condition of our heart. So in your prayer life, you can just be like, oh, God, I'm such a mess about this deal. And I've been, on, I've been up the wrong tree about it. Or I've been, you know, acting like a crazy person. Or I'm out of my mind on this deal. Would you help me? And then let him help you. The peace that surpasses all understanding. We have to do that work as believers. And we ought to do it for others. How do you help a friend they come to you afraid? You pray for them. You present their needs before the Lord our God in all faith. You just pray for them. God, would you help? This is a tough time. Would you help them get through it? Only you can do that. Would you bring peace in a tumultuous time? This is what it means to be ministers of the gospel. Speaking of ministers of the gospel, another time that we can be encouraging people is when they're serving. So we're kind of running a little bit of a gamut here. Um, but people who actively serve, we can encourage those who are ministering, and the ministry means diaconos, is table waiting in and around the church, but also in the world, people who serve. I saw somebody had a candle out for nurses and doctors, just a prayer thing like to remind you, I haven't forgotten about you. You see the blue lights on houses for the police, right? We have these ways that we communicate that we haven't forgotten people who are actively serving. We all do these things. But to remember those and to encourage them all the more. Um, some of our missionary friends are home from uh, overseas on furlough right now, which m might be an amazing, you know, just a gift that they happen to be home right now, just taking care of business. But here they are, and we should encourage them all the more as they're continuing to serve. This is our opportunity to pour into them. Let's take a look at Matthew 11, so the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. Do two turns here. We're going to look at verses 27 through 30, so just a few verses there. All things have been committed to you by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom God chooses to reveal him. So I always want to anchor a text, right? Like, well, we're going to read this next verse. You've heard it before. But I want you to see it's anchored in everything that God the Father has, he gave to Jesus, and everything that Jesus has belongs to God the Father. He makes that connection first before he makes any promise. He's going to make a connection about why his authority make that promise. Now look at what he says in verse 28. Come to me, all who are heavy and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why do you think Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light? I've heard, of, I've heard friends tell me, I gotta carry my cross, man. I gotta bear my cross. And I know, I agree. Jesus said, if you don't take up your cross, follow me, not worthy, follow him. I know. But he says also, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest because my burden is uh, easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And you think, why is that? It's because it's his. I don't know if you've ever seen. I wish I had one, but you, you ever seen those things that tie a yoke? You've probably seen them at like, like a Cracker Barrel restaurant or something. There's two spots. There's a spot for an ox or a cow over here. I don't know what those things are called. There's a spot for an ox or a cow over here. But it's a solid beam attached to both the animals. And the animals pull together, right? So you have a team. I've never driven a team. Some of y'all maybe have. I don't know. But you drive a team, and they pull together. And they can do more together than apart. And they can be steered together. But they're constantly bound together. I wish I had one. It would be cool to have one up here, right? We just have it all. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. But it's, it's this thing, and it connects them around. And, and they're connected to one another. And then everything, the movements are synchronized. And then you can't fall too far behind. If you're lame, if you've got a limp, if you can't pull as hard, guess what? The other one's pulling with you. You can do more than you could do by yourself. Here's the other thing. Whenever you're having a strong day and someone else is having a weak day, you're pulling them. And, and you're doing it together. I remember one time we did bike camp you know, years and years ago. And my son was on the he had one of those little tag-along bikes. And I was convinced that he was slowing me down. I was convinced he was slowing me down because he was sleeping back there while I was riding my bike. And I'm like, you're just dead weight. I'm just dragging you around. Man, you know. Well, the next day, one of the leaders said in wisdom, well, let's just take it off and he can ride in the car today. Yeah, I was whining about it. It's just, no, it's no hard. It was just as hard without my son on the back of the bike. <laughs> he wasn't ha- or adding hardly anything. Matter of fact, he would sit back there and say, go, 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 go. Don't you pedal, man. We were, bur- we were burdened together, but guess what? He was driving me forward. Now, let's break it down like Jesus, right? His burden is easy. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Why? I have, this, I, I have this idea when we tie ourselves to Christ, right? It's like our feet are barely touching the ground, you know? He's just carrying it, and we're just moving with him. Like, yeah, yeah, we're doing this, aren't we, Jesus? And he's like, yeah, you sure are, buddy. And he's just moving it down. He's just pulling on it. You know what I'm saying? That's why his burden is easy, because he's carrying it. We are connected, we have a burden, we have a cross to bear, but we are not bearing it alone. So we should encourage one another who are serving, to serve in the Lord. That's what the scriptures say, right? Serve as though you're serving the Lord and serve with the strength of the Lord, all that he has given you. Another verse that comes to mind is Galatians 6, 9 reads like this. Let us not become weary in doing good, but at a proper time, because at a proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So you keep going. There's this kind of idea of like, once you commit with Christ and you're walking with Christ, there's no uncommitting. You continue to walk with them. And some people say, that's not fair. You know, what if I don't want to do it anymore? I'm like, well, why would you want to stop? He's carrying the burden. Disconnect yourself from Christ and you're going to find out what a real burden is. But don't become weary. This is going to get into the next one as well. So I'm going to stop there before we hit this next point. But here's the question. Uh, who has been faithfully serving that you could encourage in your life? I mean, who, who has been faithfully serving that you could encourage? Let me tell you something really simple. And right now, maybe you're not gonna do a lot of this. Maybe you will, though. I don't know. We went out last night, had a server. They're serving you. Can you encourage them? Can you, can you well, you know, you can tip them. Yeah, that's true. Can you encourage them? Or we talk about, um, I had this really weird experience one time, and it happened one time, and, uh, you know, we were doing this motorcycle ride, y'all know about, but I decided I went to the Goodwill, and I found a couple of m- marine marine shirts they were they had sergeant stripes on them i'd never seen them in there like that i seen the plain ones just the plain tan ones but these had sergeant stripes on them right like, those are cool and there's two of them and my son and i were gonna take the trip i'm like that'd be cool matching outfits right so i bought them for like six bucks a piece yeah this is a story you know we had the harley and we're going out west we're wearing them and people kept honking and waving at us and i thought it was because my bike was cool i'm like yeah my bike's cool and i pulled over for directions and this old farmer he said uh, when did you serve oh they think I'm in the Marines. There is some encouragement out there, right? You know what I did? I put, I put that thing in my, my, my saddlebag. <laughs> I took it off. John's like, why are you taking it off? It's cool. I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I can't keep doing it. No, I'm not, I didn't serve. I don't, I, this isn't right. And as God would have it, the bag blew open and it went out on the highway. I lost it. Never, I don't have it anymore. 
God's like, you don't need it. You're going to get you in trouble. I've since seen those things about stolen valor, man. People beat you up on that. I wasn't even meaning it. It didn't say Marines. It didn't say nothing. It just had stripes on the shoulders. I, hey, man, I would have taken it off in a minute. But can you be that person that would say, thank you for serving to someone in the military or to a police officer? Thank you for serving. Or to someone who makes coffee? Thank you for serving. It's not just us that gets weary of doing good. So do other people. We should be the people encouraging people to keep on serving. Keep on serving. All right, here we go. We're going to transition now. Those who are isolated, this might be uh, really appropriate. We're going to jump back. In the Old Testament, I want you to see a story in the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings 19. Um, and we're going to read a few verses here from uh, verses 3 and 4. This is Elijah the prophet. And I, I love this story. Uh, some friends of ours run a ministry called Broomtree Ministry, and it's a ministry of rest for pastors and missionaries, full-time pastors and missionaries up in northern uh, Michigan. And it's an awesome ministry. I think the world of them, and they just care for people who are serving faithfully. This is what the word says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey on into the desert. And he came to a broom tree, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. He said, Lord, I have had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under that tree, and he fell asleep. If, if you don't know who Elijah is, Elijah is a great man of God. Elijah is someone who has served faithfully, and he's faced down enemies, and he has called out false gods, and he has, he's the guy that called fire down on the mountain, and he said, add more water, and he made fire. It was actually right before this, and after that miraculous service, and this is why we know, last and encourage people who serve, this is why that thing is, he's just wore out. He's completely tired, and I think it's funny. He drops his servant off. He has a servant serving him. He's like, you wait here, and he goes a day's journey into the desert because he is done. And he's so done. And if you've never seen a broom tree, a broom tree has like a really big, it's like a spreading tree, right? It's got a trunk and then it goes really wide. Like it's a weird looking tree, but it creates a lot of shade. And he just crawls under the tree and he's tapped out and he's isolated. And he's like, God, I'm done with this life. He look at what he says. I wish, look, take my life. I have had enough. One of the greatest grievances I have is when people are in that position and, and there's no one there to say, man, you've done such a great thing. You are so valuable. Like in that despondency, I believe that Elijah really believed it. I'm done with this. And, and you need someone. This is the problem. You know, we talk about social distancing now and stuff, right? But this is the problem with being isolated. Is it's a really hard thing. We're not made for that. I'm not saying it's not wise, but we're not made for it. So somehow you've got to reach in there Talk to people who've lost loved ones to suicide, and they grieve. And you know what they say to me? If I had known how bad of a place they were in, if I had known it was so serious, and I have to help them walk through that, but you know what they're saying? I love them so much. And you know the lie is that person often dies thinking nobody cares. I'm the only, matter of fact, Elijah, you know, he says to God, later on in this chapter, he says, I'm the only one, just me. Faithful prophet, all your hopes in me. And Jesus, or God's like, I got a whole bunch of prophets, actually, Elijah. You're one of them, right? We have to somehow find ways to encourage each other that you're not alone. We have to encourage people who think they're all alone, that you're not alone. There's another uh, scripture that says, uh, you've not faced any adversity that's not common to man, right? The things you're going through, others have gone through. This is our big teaching moment here, by the way, is that... Um, this has all been done before. It's just the latest version affecting us. Well, that feels different. Oh, no, no, you don't understand. I, I, I know I don't understand, but I understand some of it. You know, we've been through things like this before. We need to find ways to encourage people who have a tendency to isolate or that we tend to isolate ourselves. Who you reach out to. All right, encouraging one another, especially those who are isolated, who those who feel alone in this life. It's a miserable place to live. Next one is we can, we can encourage those who are suffering encouraging those who mourn. This is, we're going to look at the Gospel of John. This is a, father, a rather large uh, bit of Scripture. We're going to just read the story narratively and then talk about the, the end. John chapter 11, uh, verses uh, 17 through 35. I'm going to start reading. You can turn there. John, John 11, 17 through 35. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, 
and many Jews had already come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out from, to meet him, but Mary stayed back at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You might recall that Jesus decided to wait before he went. Verse 22, but now I know that even God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, well, I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And he asked her a question. Do you believe that? So he kind of gives this confession. He says, do you believe it? Here's a reply, 27. Yes, Lord, she said. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. Mary, when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went out to meet Jesus. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. Just think about that. He hadn't moved. Why hadn't he moved? Verse 31, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and ran away, they followed her, supposing that she was going to go out to the tomb to mourn there, to continue to grieve. 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her to all, also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. Here it is again. Stomach, he's sick about it. He's troubled. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. That's the most perplexing verse of scripture. One of the most perplexing verses of scripture for me. He holds back. He doesn't show up to save the day. He doesn't heal Lazarus before he dies. He shows up. Other Jews are already there, you know, comforting Martha and Mary. Jesus shows up. And then when he sees their grief, Jesus weeps. Why is that a perplexing verse? Because he's about to go to the grave and call Lazarus out. And yet he weeps with them. I've said to people often, maybe to you already, if you have a hard time memorizing scripture, memorize that verse. Jesus wept. That's it. That's the whole verse. Why would he weep? Why would we weep with those who are weeping? Why would we suffer with those who are suffering? Because it's an encouragement. Do you, do you see how he loved him? Do you see how they loved him? It's not artificial, by the way. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that next week, as a matter of fact. That's our topic, but it's not artificial. It's real, grieved with other people, really lamenting with other people, really mourning with other people, really wrestling with other people to understand what is happening. But here we have a simple model of Jesus weeping. We should be the kind of people who can encourage those who are suffering. You know, one of the, I, I want to just say this to the church real quick. We have a tendency to go, to jump so fast to, it's going to be okay. We have a tendency to jump so fast to, you don't have to stay in this place. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to mourn like, yeah, I know it's bad, but it's not that bad. Come on now, keep your head up. You know why we do that stuff? Because we are not comfortable with their grief. Listen, we are not comfortable with their suffering. It's the, he sent people out to heal to sick and to drive out demons. He did, but you know what you gotta do? You gotta enter into the suffering. You gotta go there and get your hands dirty. You've got to risk your own life. That's why people are so in awe of medical people right now, risking their life to save others. You can't call off. You can't call in. Everyone else stay home, but not you. You've got to go to work because you risk your life for those who are suffering. You suffer with them. It's an encouragement. I can go on and on. I won't, but I want to say that resist that urge to walk out of suffering with people. If someone reveals something that's like painful for them, don't just gloss it over with some like Christianese. Can we just not do that? I know it's hard. I know you're scared. This is not right. I don't have answers. These are ways that we can encourage and minister. You know, the funny thing, there's a whole book written about Job. Uh, the one thing that Job's friends got right as they showed up, the one thing they got wrong was they kept talking. His friends were comforting him until they talked, and he's like, why are you talking to me right now? Your presence is enough. We can encourage those who are suffering, encourage those who are mourning, Encourage those who are in times of loss. Encourage those who are in times of confusion. That's part of our call. Here's the last one, church. Those who are confessing. We can encourage those who are caught in sin. 
And I, I particularly have a particular bent about this, and I'm not sure what that is. If it's, you know, and I don't know if you have it as well or not, but I'm just going to talk about it for a minute, and, and we'll be done here today. But there's this need that the church has to flee, to run toward people who are caught in sin for their sake. or who. And I want to say this, not to come in there and say, oh, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, not like that. But to say when someone is caught out, found out, there's a compulsion to go in and minister the gospel in the real situation that you face in that moment. If they're open to it, that you would go in and you would proclaim the truth of the gospel. You would talk about forgiveness of sins. You remind them. This is especially needed, by the way, in the church. Because sometimes in the church, you know, we say, well, I know Jesus, I'm not gonna sin anymore. I'm gonna live a perfect life. And then you screw up in sin and you get found out for it. Or you confess it. I've had brothers and sisters who've confessed sin openly that was unknown sin. And then when they confess it, there were implications for confessing the sin that was unknown. Like they had to pay a price for that. It cost them relationships. It cost them jobs. It cost them opportunities. You know what the call, I think, is in that moment? To rush into that room before someone's desperate and isolated and insulated and feeling like the whole world's against them. To question there and say, this is what the gospel was for. The gospel wasn't for all the times that you were right and holy and good enough. It's for the times that you screwed up and failed and you're found out to minister the gospel to those who are confessing, to those who are sinning, to those who are caught in sin. I, I don't mean this as a way as approval of sin, but a way of what the gospel is for. Jesus said, I've come not for the healthy, but for the sick, right? In 1 John 1, 9, this is what the word says. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Don't tell me about your, you know, you get in that situation, somebody's telling you about their sin, you're like, oh, don't tell me about your sin, that's weird. Don't tell me about that sin. Why do we do that? Scriptures say, if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. They're doing exactly what they're called to do, to confess sin. What do you do? When someone's confessing sin, you grieve with them, you hope with them, you believe with them. I even think there's some part of this where you impart your faith to people who can't believe it in the moment. And there's been times I've said with people, and I don't ever aspire to be there, but I've said to them, I hope you would do the same for me. I hope you would be the one bringing the spiritual medical kit to me and saying, Bill, this is what the gospel is for. You are never better than the gospel. The book of James chapter five, I'm just gonna read, you know, turn there. Says this, if any is any of you in trouble, he should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? He should call the elders of the church and pray, and they should pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, his sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins. Look at what it says. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person availeth much or is powerful and effective. We can walk in those situations where people are confessing, people are broken, people are hurting, and we can minister the gospel of Jesus. I hope you know that today for yourself. I hope you know that today for yourself. Galatians 6 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who by the Spirit should restore, who live by the Spirit should restore that person in gentleness, carrying one another's burden. And in that way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's Messiah, Jesus, that we minister in grace and, and gentleness and we carry each other's burdens. I think that this is one of, the, um, one of those areas that we uh, are invited into that's very unique as believers in Christ, that we can come in and we can offer the gospel when the whole world is condemning I've heard stories, as maybe have you, about we see these great failures that, you know, in the media, you watch, but you hear later, there are ministers of the gospel who rush in that situation and begin to proclaim the truth of the gospel to people who are being forsaken by the world. You'll never feel that you'll always have this over your head. You'll never be forgiven. And by the grace of God, he calls servants to go in and encourage and bring the gospel to say this is exactly what the gospel is for. Let me ask you, who needs to know that in your life today? Who needs to know they're forgiven? I don't know if you know it. I hope you do. Um, I'm going to uh, pray, and I want to pray together that, um, that God would um, help us to know that again, that there's things we need forgiveness for. We have them. It's the most pressing issue we have. Pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you so much for the chance we've had to hear from your word and how you have made us to be an encouraging people. First, Lord, I wanna thank you for the encouragement you give to us um, in, in our hard days and how you surround us with other people, who believers who come and encourage us. Would you help us to be those kind of folks? And then, oh, Father, if there's 
folks here today that need to know your healing, to know your touch, to, who, are, who are feeling anxious or who are feeling afraid, who have things that, you know, feels out of control. Lord, would you come and minister to us? Would you bring your word? Would you make it, yourself alive in our hearts? And Father, for those of us who feel sometimes that weight of, of sin and failure, that burden of, of, of feeling that this is gonna be the end of it and this, you know, there's no way forward, would you help us to apply the gospel oh, first to ourselves, Lord, that we could apply it, self-apply it, to know that our righteousness was never in us but always in you? And then secondly, Lord, would you help us to apply it to others? As we so, see so many brave men and women who are caring and healing right now, would you equip your people with courage and conviction to be gospel healers in this time. We need you so much. Give us your wisdom, your insight, your understanding, your compassion, your faith. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.